educating, informing, entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. Well, good afternoon, everyone. It's Wednesday, December 27th. I'm Doug Fitzgerald filling in for Dan for the rest of the week. Alongside me is my executive producer, Johnny Cadillac. And we've got, I tell you what, I'm, I've got work cut out for him today. Our phone lines are full right now. Uh, we've got a room full of guests uh, getting ready to jump on uh, for today's show. And I tell you what, the first half of the show is going to be extremely important. It's important to me. I know it's important to our community. It's a story that you're going to hear more and more about, I believe, over the next several weeks and months to come. Um, so stay tuned for that. Tomorrow, uh, Jeff Mall is going to come in from Visit Lincoln. He'll be stopping by to talk about local tourism. And then we're going to dig more into the Convention Center progress and what's happening downtown. Uh, and in the second half of today's show, City Councilman Tom Duden will be on. He's going to talk about uh, his perspective on what we're going to talk about today in regards to concealed carry here in the uh, city of Lincoln, along with our current LPD officer shortage. He's going to give us an update on that. Well, earlier this year, the legislature passed LB-77, which allows Nebraskans to carry concealed weapons without a permit. And shortly after that decision, our mayor, Lincoln uh, Lincoln Mayor Larry and Gaylor Baird, and Omaha Mayor Gene Stoddard issued executive orders prohibiting concealed weapons on most public property, get this, including parks and sidewalks. And this is information that I didn't know, and I'm, I'm excited about today's show just to learn more about the specifics of what's happening. Um, today, we're going to be talking with Nebraska Firearms Owners Association. They recently filed a district court lawsuit in Douglas and Lancaster counties alleging the mayors of Lincoln and Omaha that they went too far in issuing these executive orders. The Nebraska Firearms Owners Association represents over 10,000 firearm owners in the state. They also provide its members with uh, public education, uh, training, and resources for safe firearm use, and they're the leading uh, leading efforts within the state to defend Nebraskans' Second Amendment rights. So joining us on the lines are Patricia Harold, she's the president of the Nebraska Firearms Owners Association. John Anderson, who's the director of media relations, and also Jacob Hubert, he's the president of Liberty Justice Center in Chicago. It's an organization that's representing the NFOA, and they're going to walk us through the current situation and the lawsuit as well. So, uh, Patricia, John, and Jacob, uh, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you being here. We're glad to be there, Doug. Thank you much. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. You bet. Well, thank you uh, for joining us on the show today. I, I tell you what I want, want to do. I really want to just educate our audience today about the issue and what's happening. Uh, first of all, what I'd like to do is, uh, Patricia, maybe you can help us out with this to kick things off. Would you share with our audience um, all about LB-77 and what it does for the state? Sure. LB-77 was years in the making. Um, Nebraskans had made their voices heard over the past several years to get our state statute as well as local government in alignment with the Nebraska Constitution, which actually was amended in 1988 by the people to place language in the first paragraph, our statement of rights, to make it very clear that for those of us who are the law-abiding, our right to have a tool to be able to defend ourselves and our families should not be infringed. And LB-77 put what we call permitless carry into effect, and it also established what is called state preemption of firearm laws, which would remove what we described as a patchwork quilt of infringing ordinances and limitations on the law-abiding person's ability to, to carry a firearm. 
So currently, and, and explain this to me, because I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. Um, before this, you had to um, you either open carried a gun or uh, you had to have a license to conceal carry. Is that correct? Correct. So are, is, is open carry still allowed in the state of Nebraska? Yes, open carry. Actually, there are no state statutes with regards to open carry. Um, our rights are not given to us by the government. Uh, they may be regulated if we as citizens wish that to be true. But open carry has always been allowed in the state of Nebraska, with the exception of Omaha, which prior to LB-77 had an open carry ordinance, which required a concealed carry permit in order to open carry in city limits. All right, good. Well, that's good to to hear and to to know about because I was like, man, because I personally, I mean, just to reveal, I'm you know, I have a permit to carry, and I believe it's a it's a great right to have. Um, now to be able to have um, that without a permit is great for our citizens to be able to protect themselves. Let's get into this. So once LB seventy seven went into effect, uh, pretty much immediately, the mayors both of Omaha and Lincoln uh, passed an executive order to limit uh, and to make it illegal, really, to um, carry uh, your gun on sidewalks, streets, parks, bike paths, and, and, and some other areas. Um, would would one of you, and I don't know if maybe, um, John, maybe you can uh, share with us more about this. What did these executive decisions do? Well, really what they did was, first and foremost, they went against what LB-77 put uh, into law. But what they ultimately did was they caused normal Nebraskans like you and me to not be safe when they're out and about within the city limits of Omaha or, or Lincoln, especially those people that like to uh, go out on the hike and, and bike trails or, you know, as we mentioned before, even just on the city sidewalk. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't feel safe when I'm in Omaha or Lincoln. I live in Norfolk, and, and it's the biggest one of the biggest towns I've ever lived in. I came from the country up in north-central Nebraska. When I go to a big town, I want to be safe. And not being able to to choose my own uh, to choose my own tool to handle any emergency that may arise when I'm on the sidewalks or if I was in a city park or, or uh, on a hike or a bike trail, that just, it makes me not want to be in the town. Um, and I know a lot of people in Lincoln and a lot of people in Omaha and I can't imagine how unsafe they feel just going about their daily duties. And the other option is to be a criminal. And no law-abiding, responsibly armed Nebraskan wants to do that. Is it? So So explain this to me then. If it's sidewalks, like if you step, you know, step on a sidewalk and you have a gun, then you're, I guess you're guilty of, of breaking that uh, executive order. Does, does this apply to streets as well? Like, if I'm in my car and I have a gun, does it apply to streets as well? So one of the challenges is this confusion. State preemption was put into place to make it much easier for the law-abiding to abide by the law. And when you are walking the streets of Omaha Lincoln, and if you are unaware whether or not that sidewalk is adjacent to some city-owned, city-leased, or city manage property, are you to walk in the gutter? Are we supposed to jaywalk? Um, and that's, that's the critical issue. It is literally an infringement on our liberty, our right to freely enjoy what our taxpayer dollars are paying for. Right. And when you think about having to go do city business 
and maybe you have to go into a location where it's prohibited, the building is posted. Um, the city-owned parking lots also prohibit you from being able to properly store your firearm while doing business with the city. This is ridiculous. That's very confusing. If you have a permit, so if you have a, a current concealed carry commit uh, permit, are you allowed on the sidewalks then too, or is it a total um, executive decision no matter if you have a permit or not? You know, they talked about the importance of training and the importance of the permitting system. But what we found is they were talking out of both sides of their mouth because there's not even an exception for people who have a concealed handgun permit. So we're all under the same um, infringing situation, whether you have a permit or not. Well, before we get into the lawsuit, I got one more question uh, in regards to, you know, the opponents to this, right? The opponents are saying, you know what, this is a public health and safety risk. The more guns we have out there, the more crime there is going to be. Is there any truth to that that you guys have found in stats? Well, when we studied the 26 other states that have permitless carry or constitutional carry, we have found no statistics that show either causation or correlation. Again, we are talking about the law-abiding, the individual citizen who has every right to purchase, own, transport, and possess these tools. We're, the law-abiding are not creating crime. It is why we carry is to be able to be preventative. We know that law enforcement has... A very, very busy job. They're out and about, and their response times aren't counted in seconds. They're counted in minutes. And the majority of defensive uses of firearms, 500,000 to a million a year across the nation, require the gun owner not even to have to fire their gun. And so we just want that same opportunity in the event the unthinkable happens that we have a chance to protect our lives and the lives of our loved ones. Yeah, it goes, you know, I think back to what John had mentioned in regards to, you know, if you're on a bike path, if you're a, if you're a female on a bike path, <laughs> whether it's during the day or not, I don't care. I, I, especially for my daughter and my wife, I want them to be able to, to defend themselves in any way because our world is just a different world now. It's getting more and more violent. So it is 517. We're talking with Patricia Harold, president of the Nebraska Firearms Association, uh, Owners Association, John Anderson, director of media relations, and Jacob Hubert, president of the Liberty Justice Center here on 1499 KLIN. Jacob, let's go to you. Let's talk about uh, the current uh, lawsuit that you have um, um, uh, put into place uh, uh, regarding uh, the mayors of Lincoln and Omaha. Tell us about the lawsuit. What does it specifically deal with, and, and what do you want as the outcome from it? So we filed two lawsuits at the Liberty Justice Center on behalf of the Nebraska Firearms Owners Association and some of its members, one in Omaha and one in Lincoln. And in each one, the argument is really simple. State law says that local governments can't regulate firearms anymore. Uh, all the laws that they had are null and void, and they're prohibited from passing new ones. And these mayors went ahead and did this anyway with their orders. And so our lawsuit simply asks the courts to tell these cities that these uh, orders are illegal and to uh, order them to stop enforcing those orders. And that's it. It should be really straightforward because the law is quite clear. 
What's the path forward then? What does it look like? Because you just came out with this, what, the, within the last month or so? And um, where do you go from here at this point? Where are you in the process? Uh, right. So we just filed these lawsuits last week. And uh, the next step, we filed a motion uh, for a preliminary injunction. In other words, asking the court to issue an order blocking enforcement of the mayor's order immediately while the lawsuit goes on. The idea there is these orders are harming people's fundamental rights right now. This is causing irreparable harm. If you lose your ability to defend your life, uh, there's no making that up to you if it turned out you needed that. And so we're asking the courts to block these orders immediately until the courts make a final decision on this. And we have a, a, a hearing scheduled in Omaha in January, and I don't think we have a date yet in Lincoln, but I expect that will be heard in January in Lincoln as well. And then hopefully we'll get orders blocking these right away until the rest of the legal proceedings can play out. And we're very hopeful that in the end these things will just be struck down and that will be the end of it. What is uh, what State Attorney General uh, Mike Hilger's position on this? Well, he issued a very helpful opinion on this recently, uh, in which he said that these mayor's orders uh, are unlawful under LB-77, uh, at least as they apply to places like sidewalks and parks and trails, uh, public property that is held in trust for the public, for the public to use. Uh, the You know, it would be one thing, it might be one thing if we were talking about uh, you know, a courthouse, a government building. But when you're talking about public parks, uh, the, the um, attorney general made clear, like, that's just what the city regulates that. It's just acting in its normal regulatory power, and that's exactly what state law prohibits here. And uh, Mr. Hilliers went even further in saying that these orders violate the Second Amendment as well because they totally take away your ability to bear arms when you're going about in these public places and he's and our lawsuit doesn't get into that because it doesn't have to because state law is so clear uh but of course he's right about that as well yeah this is a hot button topic obviously we're, we're going to hear we be hearing more about it i believe over the next several weeks and months uh jen hodge of the nebraska chapter of moms demand action a group that advocates for gun regulation described the lawsuits as stunts meant to take advantage of a political window created by the Attorney General's opinion, which she described as incredibly dangerous. What is your response to that? Well, it's interesting that when it comes to Moms Demand Action and the Nebraska Firearm Owners Association, we actually have the same goal in mind. We want safety. We just have a very divergent approach. We, as NFOA, find ourselves to be personally responsible. We're knowledgeable. We understand crime. We understand criminals. And we understand the environment in which we live. However, we would approach a solution to increase safety to actually hold accountable the criminal acts that are done with firearms. There was a recent um, study that came out that crime is up 26% in the Omaha metro area, and we can tie it to some really, really bad ideas with regards to criminal justice reform 
where we're not holding criminals accountable. We're letting them out. And that's increasing the danger in the public. And so this is not a stunt. This has been years in the making. And frankly, it's very disrespectful for her to use that language when this is a civil rights issue. Jacob, what is your response? Oh, well, I would echo that response. It makes no sense at all. And, of course, this, you know, the state government has made a judgment here about what is in the public interest and what is going to lead to maximum safety and, of course, not just safety but protection for fundamental liberties. And, you know, the state government hasn't just said that, well, that uh, well, there can be no restrictions on where people have firearms ever. They have put some exceptions into this that they considered. They've said that you can't have them in places like, uh, courtrooms and jails, for example, and instead of private property owners can set their own limits as to whether they want to have guns on their property or not. So it's not as though um, uh, this is uh, uh, a total uh, a free for all with respect to guns. It's that the state has the right to uh, the authority the, under the state constitution to decide what the state's policy will be, and the state, of course, also has to respect. Second Amendment rights, which are also in uh, the very first section of the very first article of the Nebraska Constitution. And so um, what we are doing here is just making sure that the law is followed and Nebraskans' rights are protected. And of course, it's our view that that's what's going to be best for everyone. Uh, Great. Well, John, uh, would you let our listeners know how they can get more information about what you guys are doing? Absolutely. Uh, You can follow NFOA, Nebraska Firearms Owners Association, on uh, all of the social media outlets. We have our Facebook page. We also have uh, Instagram and and X, formerly known as Twitter. On both of those, you can find us at NFOA Official. And then on Facebook, just Nebraska Firearms Owners Association. Uh, You can also follow Liberty Liberty Justice Center on all of those social media outlets as well and uh every time something happens uh we try to make sure that we post it and uh liberty just liberty justice center also makes sure that they're posting it as well you can also find you can find us online at uh, nebraskafirearms.org and if i could be allowed to say uh, it's free to become a member we would love to see more nebraskans become members and just grow these numbers and once you're a member then you can get the emails too so you can be uh, you can be caught up to date that way if you're not on social media. All right. Well, Patricia, uh, Harold, uh, John Anderson, and Jacob Hubert, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Doug. Thank you for the invite. You yes, bet. Thank you. You bet. It's 526, and you're listening to Lincoln's number one news and talk station, 1499.3 KLIN. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401K, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Educating. Informing. Entertaining. The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN.
Well, thank you for joining us on your drive home today. It's 536. I'm Doug Fitzgerald filling in for Dan for the next couple of days. Dan will be back down from down south, somewhere down in Texas. So I think San Antonio is where he's at, right, Johnny? I w- yeah, something like that. Somewhere in that area. <laughs> he's definitely in Texas. You're supposed to be keeping track of him. <laughs> I had Austin in my head, but I think that was from something else. He's in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, hey, we had a great conversation the first half of the show. If you want to check that out, the Nebraska uh, Firearms Owners Association uh, bringing a lawsuit against the city of Lincoln and Omaha in regards to the concealed carry executive orders that they placed um, in the response to LB-77 that was enacted earlier this year. If you want to hear that, you can go back and listen to our podcast once the show is over. Um, I thought along, you know, side that I bring in City Councilman Tom Duden to come in and talk. You've had a Tom, you've had a long story career in in law enforcement. Uh, I know this would probably be something that I'd love for you to get your response on. You know, the mayor here in Lincoln and in Omaha, both of them, um, you know, placed these executive orders. And what we were talking during the break is these things are so confusing about concealed carry. I mean, it's the sidewalk and the street and in the car and the parking lot and in one place you're guilty and another place you're not. And it's confusing, and maybe that's the reason why they place the order because it is confusing. But um, this lawsuit is going to try to to impact that. What is your opinion in regards to this? Well, number one, I, I'm uh, uh, Merry Christmas to everybody. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And, yeah, so uh, I was jumping right in, man. I'm like I'm like a bulldozer, I like to, man. I like to kind of say hello to everybody, and, and, <laughs> and uh, but at the same time, you know, uh, everyone's personal safety uh, is important, and. Uh, LB-77 allows people to do just that, to protect themselves. And uh, everybody should have that opportunity to do that. Uh, and when you uh, – I didn't like the executive order that was issued by the mayor. I've expressed my concern about it to uh, uh, the uh, – uh, Johans Christie, the uh, city attorney, uh, about the same – I thought uh, the same thing. It's confusing. Uh, it talked about uh, being able to uh, – uh, drive into a parking garage and uh, take your firearm and then hide it uh, out of sight uh, so that you wouldn't be in violation. But that's kind of confusing because as you're driving in on city property, you're in violation if you're carrying a firearm uh, on your hip or concealed. So um, so I, I have found that I, this is uh, the, the lawsuit is uh, – is uh, interesting, and I hope that helps uh, clean some things up. And I, we were, uh, I've had constituents contact me with concerns about it, and I told them that uh, uh, Mike Hilgers was working on an opinion, and uh, and that's uh, actually favorable for those that uh, want to con- uh, carry a concealed weapon. Um, I carry one uh, 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 when I feel like I'm going to a movie theater or. Uh, some other location uh, with my family, and and, uh, and it's for that same purpose. I want to be able to protect myself and uh, the others around me. So, uh, and that's kind of a natural thing after being in law enforcement for 26 years. And plus, I'm covered by what's called uh, HR 218, uh, which is a House resolution that was passed by George Bush for retired uh, police officers to mm. be able to uh, carry a concealed uh, firearm. And and that's a, a federal statute. So I haven't really had an opinion from the city attorney's office on how that uh, coincides with the executive order. So hmm. uh, that's a good question. Yeah. Well, as we put this to rest, I just want to encourage our listeners. I'm you know I'm a gun owner as well. I mean, we we have a deep responsibility um, to be safe. 
um, to know our situations, to know our surroundings, to be practiced um, so that we know how to handle the firearm that we have. I want to encourage us all to do that. Just make sure that on a regular basis that we're, and we're practicing and we're putting ourselves in situations in our mind of how we would respond and getting training like from the Nebraska um, Firearms Owners Association and other great organizations in the state that can help walk you through this process and can help you become a better firearm owner. I just think you know, I grew up with firearms since I was, well, born, and it was just around us all the time. So uh, safety was always uh, number one. Well, let, while we're talking about this, let's let's transition a little bit over to the Lincoln Police Department. I know last time I had you on the show, we talked about just the low numbers uh, within the department itself, the need for more police officers uh, to be trained and to come on board. Um, and uh, you recently participated in a, in a celebration of a new class um, yes. that's uh, going to be protecting our uh, our, our, our community here, which I'm grateful for. Where are we at in regards to numbers and recruiting? Um, I think the authorized strength now is, uh, is 375, and I think we're still like 40 short of that, uh, even with this uh, most recent class. Uh, but don't quote me on that, because I, that might be an inaccurate uh, number. Maybe it's 30 short. Um, I wish the classes were a little bit larger. And I think that would help uh, the department uh, catch up a little bit quicker as well, uh, because attrition is still uh, a factor. You're losing people as you're hiring people, and it takes so long uh, to put an officer out on the street after 23 weeks in the classroom uh, and practical application, uh, uh, testing, and, and what have you. And then once they do hit the street in uniform, uh, with a badge and uh, firearm on their hip, uh, they go through what's called the field training program, and uh, that's about a uh, four to five month uh, uh, time frame in which the officers uh, ride with an experienced officer, a field training officer, and uh, they kind of uh, nail down the uh, uh, communication strategies and what have you and dealing with people, hostile situations and things like that. Uh, and uh, it's also a good check on their uh, personal safety as well because uh, it's a very engaging job uh, anymore and it's gotten to, to be a lot more dangerous um, uh, as we can see that just from the number of uh, gun incidents that have been experienced by the Lincoln Police Department here lately. And, and luckily, we haven't had anybody injured uh, from some mm -hmm. of those most recent ones. But uh, there are dangerous people out there. And, uh, uh, and uh, unfortunately, we don't know when they're going to pop up. Uh, and uh, and uh, cause some problems. Mm -hmm. So, uh, how many how many people from LPD, um, full time staff, and all does it take to train a, a class? It's enormous. In fact, uh, I think it was like a page and a half in the program of just the list of uh, personnel that was involved in the training classes. Uh, and so there's several instructors, some, some of them are officers, some of them are professionals, some are lawyers. Um, uh, we, they have, uh, uh, from some different, uh, social, uh, workers as well that, uh, help train the officers, mental health uh, professionals, et cetera. And, uh, so it's a pretty engaging, uh, class. They get tested, I think, like every Monday hmm. and, uh, they have to score uh, so much in order to uh, uh, pass on to the next uh, uh, next week's worth of training uh, type of thing. So, 
It's 544. We're talking with City Councilman Tom Duden on 1499.3 KLIN. All right, let's uh, let's shift out of this, all right? Yeah, let's, let's, sure. let's move forward. We've got a lot of new development happening with downtown. We're talking about Convention Center tomorrow on the show. A lot of development around the city. There's also a lot of maintenance issues as well, right? Yes. Um, and, and where do you stand in all that? Where are we at with the city? Where do you think that needs to go on? Because I've got some opinions. And maybe we'll get into those here in a minute. But uh, as a city councilman, seeing this firsthand working with our leaders in each of the departments, where are we at with all this? I, I, I will say, since I've been on the council now, uh, since May, uh, I've learned that we have a lot of dedicated uh, department uh, directors uh, with uh, uh, Lincoln Transportation Utilities, uh, with Urban Development, uh, the Planning Department, uh, Building and Safety. Uh, I've got some meetings uh, scheduled uh, to uh, uh, talk with uh, finance because I'd like to learn a little bit more about uh, uh, where the money uh, from roads, uh, taxes, and what have you collected, uh, where it's going to, and and, uh, how it's dispensed. Uh, so I, I'm still trying to learn a little bit more at the same time, but sometimes I feel like uh, there is a, a huge concentration on development in the downtown area or near downtown area, and uh, when that when when we do that, uh, sometimes I feel like we neglect the maintenance issues that uh, the city uh, is experiencing at the same time. Whether it would be uh, our roads, and although we've done a lot. Uh, in the last six years with this Lincoln on the Move uh, program uh, that uh, was initiated. Um, sometimes I, I kind of wonder the priorities of uh, uh, the repairs, and uh, I wish uh, we would uh, take care of our arterial streets uh, in advance of our residential areas, uh, because I have seen that uh, firsthand where some residential streets have been redone where it's 25 miles an hour, but then the 40-mile-an-hour roadways that carries a, probably five or ten times more traffic uh, is, is pretty beat up. So uh, I don't know. I'm, ha- I'm going to actually uh, schedule some meetings with uh, Jim Abel just to find out a little bit more, get myself educated more about the cost of uh, – of uh, road uh, uh, maintenance and and repairs and and uh, uh, pouring new roads and that sort of thing. So I've got that coming up here in this next week. It's kind of nice not having uh, uh, two Mondays off uh, from the city council. So <laughs> it gives me a little time to do some research yeah. on some of these uh, projects because I'll I'll say it's it's pretty intense going from one week to the next. Uh, with some of the city council meetings, and we've had some meetings that have gone, uh, you know, four to six hours, uh, starting at either three o'clock or five thirty, and uh, they've been pretty intense. And and uh, uh, but I've learned a lot uh, at the same time. Well, I'm going to put a. You can put a bug in the in in his ear when you talk to him. All right. This is my my one my one th- every every time I drive downtown. Right. We are trying to develop the downtown area, right, to be the place. Obviously, it brings in a lot of business for us. I mean, this last year, I think we brought in over 500,000 people in the month of August alone to visit our city. We build it all up, make it look nice. O Street downtown is the worst, one of the worst streets we have. Yes. And that's the welcoming of our visitors to this city. Yeah. I don't get it. I yeah. just don't get And it's been like that forever. Well, especially when you head out to West O, uh, from yeah. Northwest 48th to downtown. And you go through uh, downtown, it's like, you, you know, you need to four-wheel drive now to get through. <laughs> yeah, it's just... well, and that's the issues that I'm hearing from constituents at the same time. And uh, 
Uh, I think there has been an effort to repair some of those things, but uh, I don't know exactly um, the dollar amounts uh, of what's been taken in and uh, what's being applied uh, to those problems. Uh, But, yeah, I think we need to do a better job. I think we've fallen behind uh, big time, and it shows. And actually, uh, one of the first places that you can uh, show off your city is whether it's roads, yeah, it's yeah. signage, and, and uh, uh, development of those roads and what have you. I, I think that's uh, uh, one of the selling points for yeah. Lincoln. Lincoln does uh, attract a lot of good businesses. Uh, I just recently had a tour of uh, Nelnet. Yeah, and uh, how that company has diversified and grown in this city is just—it's uh, amazing to have a homegrown company like that uh, based headquartered in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they've got three thousand employees here in Lincoln, and nine thousand total. So wow, I didn't know that. So uh, it's a very uh, well-run, diversified, and, and it's uh, Nebraska-born. So. Um, it's a, it was an amazing tour. Uh, the um, uh, Chamber of Commerce has done a really great job in educating, I think, uh, um, politicians about uh, what businesses need and uh, what, uh, and at the same time, what they're requesting from the cities uh, where they're at. And uh, uh, so Lincoln is, uh, I think, doing a pretty good job of trying to meet uh, some of those demands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want uh, to come up with uh, uh, economical housing, and I'm still uh, kind of pushing. I'd like to see us have a starter home program here in Lincoln instead of all the apartment complexes. That mm, we have. That's a good idea. Explain it. Share that. I mean, is that just a concept or an idea well, at this that's point? It's just an idea that uh, uh, actually uh, I learned from someone else, and I asked if I could uh, steal that, and he said yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, because it, it, that's really what we need, because uh, still home ownership is uh, one thing that brings a lot of pride to an individual. And uh, Lincoln's going to have some good jobs with the uh, new prison, uh, with uh, some of the corporations that are moving to to, uh, Lincoln, uh, Google uh, being one of them. Um, There are some uh, technical jobs that uh, are in demand. And we need to bring these bring people to Lincoln to fill those jobs and then be able to uh, put them in a house someday. So. Well, in this first year on the on the council, what's something you're really proud of that you've worked towards and that you really just it just you know lights you up? Well, I tell you, uh, I, you know, one of the things I ran on is I said I would be investigating things mm-hmm. and I wanted to find out where people's money is going, and so I've been really uh, trying to push uh, some things on that. And uh, uh, sometimes you don't find out uh, from the directors everything that you want to know. You find out from some of the people that are working in the field whether that would be from parks or from from roads. Uh, I've learned a lot from the employees or from the firefighters and from the police officers uh, that uh, explain to me, you know, how things are running and how things are going and, and where where the deficiencies are. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's good to learn not only from the directors, uh, their vision, but to uh, talk to those people where the, the rubber meets the road yep. at the same time. Well, Johnny, you've got a caller on. Matt's on the line here. He's got a question regards to roads, roundabouts, and bike paths. And, I'm, hey, let's go ahead and bring Matt on. Matt, uh, what is your question today? Yeah, uh, Tom, I think you're going to be a great addition to city council. I'll call it two pet peeves, last questions or things to think about. Uh, one, I'm just curious who exactly decides uh, roundabouts in the city of Lincoln. It seems like 
we have an abundance of them, particularly Yankee Hill Road, 56th Street, out to about 84th. Nobody uses that stretch because there's too many roundabouts. And second is, I hope we learn from past mistakes, specifically the bike paths that are downtown and restricts traffic downtown. So I'll wait for your comments and thoughts. Thanks, Matt. Well, downtown's kind of a ghost town at the same time, uh, especially during the day. Um, and uh, uh, the bike paths that are in place down there, I think, uh, will uh, be uh, paths for the future. But you're right. Uh, uh, they do take up space, but there's really not the, the traffic volume downtown is not the same as it was years ago. Um, and I know that for a fact from being a police officer, my entire career was mostly in the downtown Malone, uh, Clinton, Hartley area. So, um, I can, I can talk about that. The roundabouts, you're talking to a fan of roundabouts, but, uh, there, there, there's also, you can have too many too close. And, uh, and I think, uh, the Yankee Hill project is a good example of that. Uh, roundabouts, uh, save, uh, lives, hmm. uh, because there's no right angle collisions in a roundabout intersection. You might have a side swipe, but, uh, there's not going to be a right angle collision like you would have with an automatic signal there. Um, and the cost of having an automatic signal in an intersection requires maintenance, and roundabouts uh, eliminate that. So um, I studied that a lot when I worked for Design Data Corporation, and uh, they still haven't built the, the double roundabout at 14th and, and uh, uh, Old Cheney. Uh, but I was a part of a lot of the um, uh, meetings in, re- in regards to that uh, project, uh, which hasn't taken off yet. So... Uh, but uh, roundabouts are, are lifesavers at the same time. Tom, I appreciate you sharing that. I have never heard that. Never heard that about roundabouts. Yeah, I, well, I did a lot and of that makes total research. Sense. Uh, you know, it came from Europe, and uh, Clearwater, Florida has uh, a lot of them and some triple lane ones. And it's the same thing. It's, traffic slows down, keeps moving. Uh, you don't have the, the brake dust um, problem in intersections from hmm. uh, everybody slamming on their brakes. And you don't have idling cars there uh, um, you know, harming the environment there. So uh, they're kind of a, kind of a plus. And uh, so uh, they're not necessarily a, a bad thing. Uh, but it, it, I think on Yankee Hill, a lot of, a lot of people taking their kids to the new high school complained about that uh, as just being too much. Yeah. And uh, so I think sometimes, yeah, if they're too close together on an arterial uh, pathway, uh, we, we can we might be want to second second guess that or uh, rethink that just a little bit. Well, Tom, thanks so much for coming in today. We appreciate it. Tom Duden from Lincoln City Council. Always great to have you here in the studio. It's 5.55. We're going to take our final break here and wrap up the show. You're listening to Lincoln's number one news and talk station, 1499.3 KLIN. You're listening to the Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN. It's 5.59. Thanks for joining us this afternoon on the show. I'm Doug Fitzgerald filling in for Dan. He'll be back next week. Last night, I recorded our upcoming One Shot, One Life show that will air nationally on January 6th. Had Sonia Jones, who lost over 144 pounds as a finalist on season 16, NBC's The Biggest Loser. It was an incredible interview. You're going to listen to that uh, again January 6th for sure. Every Saturday, though, at 11 o'clock here on KLIN. I want to thank all of our guests for coming.
coming on the show today. If you want to go back and listen to the podcast, just go to KLIN.com for more information. You've been listening to The Dan Parsons Show on 1499.3 KLIN.